Hello, welcome to episode six of the Gestalten podcast. My name is Eric Galina. My name is Martin Groschwald. And we have a very special episode for you today. Now, I'd like to first of all kick off because there's been something quite interesting that's happened uh, this week was Giorgetto Giugiaro's 80th birthday. Uh, he would, turned 80 on August 7th, which was uh, just yesterday, I believe. Um, and he, I mean, he, this is one of the most iconic figures in automotive design. Um, this is a guy that started out at Bertoni very young, moved into creating a whole range of cars um, for a number of automakers. I mean, he was responsible for the BMW M1. He was responsible for Hyundai's first ever car, the, uh, the Pony. Um, he was also responsible for, well, just a Lotus uh, Esprit. I mean, there's first generation golf. First generation golf is absolutely a huge, huge win for him. And then he went on to design a series of yeah. Volkswagens after that. Now, I, the question really is, you know, there's a few designers that reached a certain level in their career that then went on to open their own design mm -hmm. studios. But, you know, Giorgetto is a master. Yeah. Um, he's one of the guys, I mean, you know, this is dating back to the 1960s when he originally opened his design studio and designed all of these cars that I spoke about. He also designed, you know, computers and uh, cameras. I, I mean, he even designed pasta like this is, <laughs> um, so he's all over the map. And, you know, after Volkswagen kind of bought him out and then gradually, you know, they bought a controlling stake in the company, then they bought more. And Giorgetto, I guess, didn't really like working for this larger corporation. I really don't know. I mean, obviously he got in because Walter De Silva and him mm -hmm. had a very good track record over the many years that they worked together. Um, but, you know, After he left, um, you know, he started his own company now with his son, uh, Fabrizio, a car that was unveiled in Geneva mm -hmm. very recently. Um, so GFG designed Giorgetto Fabrizio Giugiaro. Um, but the thing that strikes me is the fact that whilst some design directors, uh, Loewe Versmich, for example, went off to create Grand Studio There's a couple of design directors that Ken Okiyama, for example, mm -hmm. left Penetrina. There's a few of these designers that went off and started their own thing, but it's a different game now. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you can't go and say, I designed that like, like Giorgetto can say. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I think the whole design studio environment has changed massively. I mean, if we look back into, you know, the 60s, the 70s in particular – it was not common to have a design studio. The money wasn't, you know, let's say that much put into the design studios. It wasn't, you know, that obvious to have, you know, what you have with Mercedes, or like, you know, BMW, four, five hundred people working in design and developing a new strategy. I think it really came down to the fact that he was with his ideas at the right, you know, at the right spot, at the Absolutely. right time. Um, and it, it, it will just, just won't happen again. I think if we look into, you know, uh, Certain kind of companies, what are they doing nowadays? We look into Pinfarina, we look into, you know, even someone like Makina, uh, someone like, you know, Jujaru himself. Those kind of guys, what they're doing is pretty much pre-work. So they're working in very, very early stages of a design process. Mm -hmm. So they become, you know, uh, an external competing factor for the teams. And I think... Uh, we will see those, we will see those companies, you know, developing, we will see those companies obviously, you know, surviving, but in terms of really doing production cars, it's not really going to happen anymore.
Right. You know, I think with that, that time is unfortunately over. You know, you might have the occasional, uh, you know, uh, freelance designer that might come in and helps you on that one. But those kind of leading positions, you know, Jajaro coming in that gets to that car, it's not going to happen anymore. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, uh, it's sad, but again, you know, it's the end of an era. Um, but uh, again, you know, this is a question to you guys. If you guys want to drop a comment in the comment section below um, or, you know, just let us know your thoughts. I mean, will we ever get back to that point where, um, you know, a designer can attain that level, that iconic status um, that Giorgetto has? I mean, the, he won designer of the century back in uh, um, 1999, so almost 20 years ago. Mm. And I doubt that you know, there were quite a lot of uh, candidates up against him, but, you know, no one can really hold a candle to what he's achieved over the course of his career. It's incredible. Yeah. So, all right. Well, so moving on now to, um, there haven't been many new cars revealed. No, unfortunately not. There was a, a little bit of a week, two weeks, I would, I would say, yeah. since yeah. we last recorded. So, um, but we came up with something else that still has to do with, uh, with new cars. Yes. I mean, it is a new car, um, that's been revealed recently. Um, you know, but it's just, it's summer and people are away on holiday. You know, I mean, the, uh, all the automakers are, are taking breaks and whatever being, uh, you know, cycling around Europe or whatever. But, um, the Buick Regal Avenir made its debut. Um, and that obviously is a car. That's catering to the... Chinese What's a name market. as well? What's a name? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, Buick, you know, is a massive brand in, in China. And that concept car, the Avenir, was when it was unveiled in Detroit several years back now. Um, it, I, I really thought that, and I think uh, Ed Welburn at the time, GM's vice president of design, told me that they were contemplating and considering putting uh, the Avenir nameplate mm -hmm. into production. Now... It, it probably, you know, wouldn't have gone over too smoothly because obviously Cadillac exists on the upper end for, uh, for GM. But it's interesting in that, you know, just like when we were talking earlier about Gijaro uh, in the 60s. And I mean, back in the 60s in Italy, there were a lot of carrozzeria mm -hmm. and um, two of which, uh, you know, uh, Ghia and then later Vignali as well were acquired by Ford. And Ford basically decided that they were going to take these brands. Um, Ghia in the 80s became, I think it was the 80s, maybe even before that, but um, became then a trim level on Ford's existing products. They didn't really do much after that. And the same thing in recent times in the late 20s or the early 2010s, I would say, with, uh, with Vignale happened. And this is exactly what's happening now with the Buick brand, because this is the third uh, vehicle that they've created with the um, Avenir kind of at, at the upper end of the of the trim. Now, it's, it's just a trim level. So it's it's kind of different as it's not what it, you know, what Vignale was or what Gia mm -hmm. was. Um, but clearly, I mean, developing a new brand from scratch. And again, for GM, this may not have worked because obviously it goes head to head with against Cadillac. But Cadillac is unknown in uh, China, which is where GM mm -hmm. is selling massive amounts of yeah. Buicks. So, um, and but to invest that level of money to make Avenir a brand like, for example, Lexus or Infinity, a premium, you know, luxury brand uh, like Genesis has done very recently, is um, 
is very interesting. I, I, I was curious to hear your kind of take on, you know, trim levels versus, you know, adding a new luxury premium brand into a, into the market. Yeah, I think it very much depends on what the whole company has to offer. Yeah, I mean, if we if we look into the kind of or if we analyze a little bit at the moment, for example, what's ha- what happened with, uh, you know, Opal Vauxhall, mm. you know, and moving into PSA, a lot of people were asking, like, how does this make sense? So if we analyze that to a certain kind of degree, we could say, well, maybe Opal is moving into a more of a premium sector. Yeah. So obviously there is the DS brand, which is supposed to be very, very premium, very, very high level, but there is still enough space because the idea of PSA, you know, uh, Peugeot, Citroën and, um, uh, and Opal, are so close together, the question is like, how can you diversify it? Mm-hmm. Um, but this costs a hell of a lot of money. Yeah. And, uh, we, we, we've seen something, you know, in terms of just establishing a brand just in general costs a lot of money. Establishing a premium brand or a luxury brand mm-hmm. is not just about, you know, good marketing. It's not just about good design. It's mainly about building a brand, you know, from almost scratch. And building it up a way that everybody who works in it understands what premium is all about. Absolutely. And, and I think this is nowadays very, very difficult because if you think about what is, what is the goal of the, of, of the car industry is to sell more cars. We see a fight between, you know, Toyota and, uh, the, the, the Renault Mitsubishi and the Nissan Alliance and Volkswagen Group. It's like, oh, you know, we can sell more and more cars. Mm. Is premium the whole thing or is it just about, you know, selling as many cars as you want to? So, really establishing into the premium market is difficult. And, you know, if you ask the question, just like, who do you run against? I mean, how do you want to compete for the hundred years of Mercedes experience, a hundred, you know, a hundred years of BMW experience when you start from scratch, you know, and um, I think you need to be bold. And, you know, when we, when we, when we talk about bold and, and, uh, you know, and daring, Genesis obviously comes to mind, but then look at, you know, the idea of, uh, of the Essentia versus a G80 and a G90. There's, they are miles apart. Yes. Yes. But again, I mean, that's a concept vehicle and the team is fairly new. Yeah. Um, uh, most of, you know, many of them have not had occasion to work on a production. Uh, for Genesis, yeah, yeah. What we will see coming out of yeah. that studio into, or coming out of Genesis in general from, you know, the three studios uh, is going to be impressive because of this newfound team. Without a doubt, it's going to be quite different than what we've seen certainly in the early stages mm. of Genesis. So um, it's something that's uh, very interesting and something that uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Um, but yeah, I mean, developing brands and new brands is very costly. Um, but Obviously, the way forward is to develop these new premium brands because that the profit margins are massive. Yeah. Um, but you have to develop them in a certain way where you're going to elevate the perception of the brand. And that's really the, the critical um, word is the perception. Because yeah. if, if no one knows who you are, um, you need to present yourself with a, a certain in a certain way where people will automatically... Um, equate your brand with it has to be synonymous with luxury or whatever message you're trying to convey. And, and, and I think the interesting thing nowadays when we talk about the new generation of cars, luxury can be seen in different levels. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, we can go, uh, you know, back onto a Rolls Royce level, which is then you know luxury in terms of materials that you're using in terms of bespoke design. But we can also talk about technology. 
Mm. Yeah. If we look into um, a Tesla, for example, the Tesla in terms of materials and quality is not that great. Let's be very, very honest. You know, it's a, it's a good vehicle, but it's nowhere close to competing with the Mercedes. In price it is, and it makes it up for like having new technology, having the EV, mm. you know, the, the EV setup, but also having the, let's say, touchscreen that goes in hand in hand with it. Mm. Yeah. So we really need to understand nowadays there's different kind of levels of luxury. And I think this is where it becomes extremely interesting in the future for us to discuss what kind of group of people prefer what kind of luxury. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's going to be interesting to see, especially from a technology perspective. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Technology is opening a whole new realm. Um, and yeah, you're right. I mean, the perception that people now, you know, consider technology such as electric vehicles to be some form of luxury because it's avant-garde, it's, uh, new. And, uh, so that's very interesting. Yeah. Right. So, we're going to be going to Pebble Beach um, later this month. I'm not. You are. I'm, I, am, I am actually going to be on holiday. Yeah, happy days. days Eric is going to enjoy the California well, sun. Enjoy the California sun. I mean, you know, somebody's got to do it. But, um, yes. So, I'm sure we're going to see quite a lot of interesting projects, um, including Genesis. Um, and, you know, quite a lot of interesting debuts, probably some surprises. Um, so that's something that I'm definitely looking forward to. One of the best shows of the year, uh, I think, for now. It's yeah, like and it's, it's very interesting because it kind of brings us back to what we were talking about last week or two weeks ago, which is um, how manufacturers are basically the auto show, the traditional auto show is dead. And we're moving towards now new ways of reaching customers for these manufacturers that are exhibiting now in the Quail or Pebble Beach on the concept car lawn or, um, I mean, you know, maybe outside outside of some restaurant in Carmel where it's going to be just a ridiculous amount of cars, um, all of which I'll be posting, posting on Instagram. <laughs> um, but okay. we've, we, we've heard some cool kind of rumors coming out that obviously Audi has, has shown the teaser. Mm -hmm. You That's know, right. yes. um, there were some rumors, but like, you know, there was no substantial like, you know, proof to it that, you know, Bugatti might show a very, very first early stage of uh, the uh, Devo, I think it's called, the new kind of, mm. you know, potentially a Chiron you know, successor, which would be super exciting, I think. Yes. So, um, I've seen the one with the glass roof. That is not a uh, successor of the Chiron. It's no, actually a Chiron just, special edition yes, with like the sunroof. Edition. I think it's actually called the sunroof edition or something like that. But I don't know what it's um, called, but I, I figured, you know, Bugatti doesn't really change like that much. So if they did show something new in Pebble, I would be really surprised and that would be amazing. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think the sunroof thing is kind of, That's it. <laughs> I, don't know. I could be pleasantly surprised. Who knows? So you see that, you know, there's really not that many new cars if we have to talk about a sunroof in a Bugatti Chiron. <laughs> that has happened over the past couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, Pebble Beach is going to be cool. Um, so in that kind of regards, of course, you know, follow Eric on Instagram and yeah. and on, on all the social medias because he's going to be posting some really, really cool pictures. Yeah, if I've got internet things. reception, which yeah, we'll see. <laughs> But um so now I, moving into the, the, the main topic, the main topic this week is um, one that we, you know, know a lot about being as it, it hopefully. is. It is <laughs> no, hopefully, I mean, it's, it's something that I want to discuss because it's something that um, Concept House is, you know, very much intertwined with. And that is 
the designers and the studio structures that these designers yes. work in. Um, so, you know, it's a topic that, um, you know, I wanted to address um, and basically just to sh shed some light on a lot of people don't really know how things are run. Certainly not, you know, people that aren't designers working in these environments. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people that uh, consider what manufacturers feed out and you know, mm -hmm. seeing in terms of like the face of the brand as being the designer of. And, you know, so people like, say, Ian Callum from Jaguar, you know, he's been better lately in terms of bringing out his team mm -hmm. um, and showcasing. But nonetheless, when you speak or see, you know, how these people are portrayed in the media, it's always, you know, Gordon Wagner is the designer of. Yeah. So it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. The structure of a, of a design department is something that is very particular. Um, it is also something that is, let's say, very, it can be very simple to describe, but it's a very, very complex structure. Um, you know, and it's, it's also something that, uh, even though it has a structure that kind of, uh, you know, applies for every design studio in the world, there are certain kind of levels that might differ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, so uh, we will just move into that in just a little bit. But uh, before we do that, we would like to bring someone in for this whole topic because there's one thing about the design studios. And, uh, you know, when you, you know, when we cut back to this, we will have Daniel with us is uh, one of our colleagues. And Daniel will tell us a little bit more about, uh, you know, his part of the whole, the whole idea. So, um, you know, we will be back with Daniel in just a few minutes. All right. So welcome back. We now have a special guest joining us, Daniel Schoenfeld, who is the counterpart to Martin at Concept House. Um, so Daniel, tell, tell us a little bit. How, how did you guys meet? Mm, Let's quite, go back. It's quite funny, actually, because... We met in 2014 in London uh, when we were both working for the same agency and he actually was there I think for most like nearly a year and when I joined I obviously was quite junior and I really expected to like join a team of like native English people really like obviously being based in the UK turned out it was like team of 10 and everyone was from Stuttgart area <laughs> so you know being from Hanover quite having um, to deal with like this funny accent they are having um, now was um, I think we met and like after the first week was just flying and we got along quite well and then two years later basically we decided obviously to establish Concept House in 2016 and now we're here there we yeah, are that's, that's pretty it. much it nice nice so you guys are like having been in this industry, working with designers, building these studios and the teams that are working within these studios, you guys are perfectly placed to talk about what it is that really takes place within these studios in terms of designing cars and all of the people that come into play in terms of design. So I, I think... Really, I want, I want to just throw a scenario out here for you. So my name is Eric. I'm a gajillionaire. I've got more money than I know what to do with. <laughs> I wipe my butt with it. And I want to build a car. I got the Gestalten brand. I'm set. I'm ready. 
how would I get a car designed and built from nothing? Go to Jaro. <laughs> well, you know, that's not, not really an option. If you would be in the 60s now. But, no, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy that wants everything done myself. I'm yeah. going to build it. I'm going to pour the concrete down. You know what I mean? I'm going to build the building, the facility, and bring in all the people to make my car and build my company. Because it's not going to be just one car. It's a yeah. brand. And yeah. we're going we're gonna to build we a go all the way. We go all here. the way. We're going to sell globally. So I want, first of all, I need a design team. I need to build something. Yeah. You know, I need to design something that I'm then going to build. Talk me through it. How, how do I do that? Well, the first thing that you will need, of course, is a guy that's at the helm of the whole thing. You know, you need a guy who's running the design, who has a vision of building not just a brand, but building a team, you know, a studio environment that people feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to do that, that's super difficult. You know, you will find people that are made to do something like that. There are other people that are, you know, stuck in corporate life and they will always be stuck in corporate life. So um, let's say in our case, we have someone who is absolutely perfect what the Gestalten brand is supposed to be like. Mm. So a part, you know, a lot of people, especially when, you know, you look into the media, it sounds like, oh, you know, Gordon Wagner is the only designer at Mercedes. <laughs> um, which not obviously <laughs> is not really the case. You know, Gordon has a very, very big team behind him. So um, it's a very, very complex and time-consuming and, you know, financially intensive situation that we have to build and, like, you know, team that we have to build. But mm -hmm. um, the general kind of overview from a design perspective is it's extremely complex. We're not, we, we have a team of designers and that team of designers is usually split in... It used to be three, now it's four different areas. Mm -hmm. First one is obviously just normal exterior design. Pretty much we don't have to talk about that in detail. It's about the shell of the car. It's about the outer experience of the car, mm -hmm. you know, the outside experience of everything. Then we have an interior team. And this interior team is, you know, what we call nowadays a, mostly a geometry team. So they play really with, you know, the, the volumes of the car on the inside with everything that is haptic. So everything that you can touch on the car. Mm. Um, and over the past few years, we really had additions to that team, which was from the digital side, what a lot of people now call UI, UX, HMI, you know, there's different kind of product names for that, or like, you know, digital product or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, this can also be a separate kind of entity, a separate kind of team, which very much then depends on, you know, where you put the focus, if the digital is more important than the geometry, for example. Um, so that's already three of, pretty much what we have. And one of the most underrated departments in anything that has to do with design is color and trim. Yeah. Yeah. But does that normally sit within interior design? No. Color and trim is usually separate from everything because mm. colors go literally from, you know, I mean, we have the little, the little bubble hat down there. <laughs> it goes from the silver to everything that happens on the inside. Mm -hmm. And color and trim is actually interesting in the sense of it, all, it always goes into product design as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're talking about materials that have to be sourced. Colors need to be created. It sounds like, you know, always so easy. Oh, let's put a color on the car. Those colors are specifically created for a brand. You know, and yeah. we talked about luxury earlier. Mm -hmm. It's a really important kind of fact of implementing it as well. Yeah. Um, but this, of course, gives us a intellectual idea, you know, something that is an idea. But we, you know, we cannot build a car just with sketches. 
Yeah. It's just no, absolutely quite. impossible. But I mean, the, the color and materials team, I always believe that would sit underneath the interior team in terms of of level, shall we say. Because obviously there's the exteriors, which have until this day mm -hmm. reigned supreme. Interiors is kind of catching up from a general perspective mm -hmm. now. Um, and you have this new field of design which is coming into play which is UI UX yeah. which in my opinion should be entirely separate from interiors obviously UI UX you're talking about haptic feedback and things so yes in terms of like points of contact but um, from an exterior perspective it's also an experience isn't it this is exactly the thing where we are, where we're getting into let's say a lot of you know definition problems Because if we look into a Byton, for example, the Byton in its concept form doesn't have, um, you know, any kind of ways to open the door apart from a facial recognition mm -hmm. or from an app. I mean, Tesla has, you know, the app to open up your car. So the experience level is going pretty much everywhere nowadays. Mm -hmm. We're going even on a, you know, corporate level in terms of experience. So you can see already the importance of certain kind of sub-departments within design yeah, that a design director really has to coordinate mm -hmm. uh, in that situation. And color trim is exactly like that. Color trim becomes more and more important because the idea of individualization, of bespoke, yeah, is an ongoing process. You know, mm -hmm. you see it with Rolls-Royce, for example, yeah. probably color trim is the most important department for Rolls-Royce because it's ever evolving. You know, mm -hmm. we see it in the BMW i3, we see it in the BMW i8. They try to use materials, you know, that, sh that, that show the idea of the car. Absolutely, and differentiate the product, make exactly. it stand out from the competition. Exactly, and this is why, you know, always very, very underestimated in terms of what they're doing, the mm -hmm. color trim designers. Uh, mostly female, actually. I think this is uh, yeah. the interesting point of this. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas the interior, exterior, very male dominated, uh, very male dominated, mm. and um, definitely one of the most important thing nowadays. Yeah. So, so once you get past, which is what I'm going to call, you know, the design director, the face of the brand, mm -hmm. um, because that's how they're portrayed across every media. I mean, design obviously is gaining massive importance yeah. um, across every market and. People are really noticing, you know, the power of design and therefore they need a face to represent yeah. that for the brand. Um, then below them, you have a design director responsible for interiors, responsible for exteriors. Correct. And, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, then you also have the color and trim team and you also have the UX team. Yeah. Now... If I was building my gestalting car, how would you structure that? Would you put them side by side next to the interior design directors? Um, yeah, they should. They should. I think in a modern day culture, especially when, with the idea of technology becoming ever important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you could even go as far, and I say something controversial now, and people like you know, I would, I would really love people to comment on that one. Mm -hmm. You could even go as far as putting the UI and the UX team above an interior team. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. so you could actually say interior and column trim is all right, and if you don't want to have another hierarchy structure, you could put UI works on the very, very helm of the whole thing. Okay. Um, this is obviously very, very forward thinking. We're pushing quite a lot with that, uh, you know, with with, with 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 that kind of idea that we we bring into play here. Mm -hmm. um, but it is a very, very good possibility, and I'm expecting to see this at some point in the future. Right. Yeah? Because the idea of a geometry. In terms of interiors, you know, and again, we see that with the bytes and we see that with the Tesla is the screens becoming ever present. Mm. And so then the content in the screen is going to be part of it. You know, the experience, what do you want to do with the screens? They're really moving in 
uh, into the whole situation. We saw it with the Audi that is much yeah. more clean on the interior now and stuff like that. So um, it's 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 really then down to how risking is the design VP, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you whatever that official uh, you know name for the first person is in, in design. Yes. How tech savvy is that person, for example? Right. How future looking? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, right. This is this is the fundamental the fundamental question. Mm. But the general kind of put would really be you put them all onto one level. They all have the same right, and that's pretty much it. And then within those structures, then you've got um, design managers, you've yeah. got senior designers, and then you're going down to junior designers. Now, the the difference between um, you know the design managers is obviously someone within that interior or that exterior or that UX team overlooking yeah. the work that other people are doing now within that team then you've got senior designers which are roughly i mean how much experience does a does a senior designer have i mean it very very much depends i think one one thing that we need to put in there um is that within a design department generally there are some exceptions i think the uk is an area where where this is not always applicable um, and this is where we didn't differentiate, of course, is the design department is very permanent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's very, very few contract work in there in general because you want to have the stability of the work. Yeah. With everything in there. Everybody's singing from the same hymn book. Uh, exactly. The design, the, yes. And if you have, it might be very helpful someone to have, you know, sometimes to have a contractor coming in for a year or so. Mm-hmm. But the general kind of idea is we want to have a constant workflow. Yeah. That's not going to change much and it's mm-hmm. going to be constantly going. So. That's the idea. But it's also sometimes helpful, I'd assume, to bring in contract designers sure. with a completely different sure. viewpoint, sure. which could then integrate well with the team, of course, but come and look at it from a different perspective. Sure. Especially with, I mean, in the in the German uh, environment, this doesn't really happen. Mm. It uh, has on, on a few occasions. Uh, back in the day, yeah. Yes. I mean, Martin Longmore is a good example That's for right. that. That's yeah. right. Um, Audi TT. Uh, exactly. Uh, it's not really that yeah, common anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. But uh, coming back to your, to your initial question. Yes. Um, you have certain kind of experience levels, you know, and the experience levels, they have had a kind of, let's say, resurrection lately in terms of cool names and what you can call them. But <laughs> it really comes down to the experience and then it comes down to the to the studio environment. I mean, if we take our example now, we built a Gestalten car, we want to put it into production. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for, for our purpose, uh, a senior designer would be someone that can really help and has the experience to bring a car into a production level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some other companies really go just after experience. Don't, they don't care like, you know, what kind of projects you've worked on. It's like you have ages of experience. So you know, a senior designer now. Right. Yeah? has to do with like promoting factors internally and stuff like that. But the general kind of idea is to say very much depending what you want to do. Yeah. And if you then say, I want to work in a production environment, okay, then if you want to be a senior designer there, you have to have experience in certain kind of production levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Juniors have a completely different kind of status in that company. Yeah? Yes. Juniors... Well, the term sketch monkey is what I've heard. <laughs> sketch monkey is a very, very bad term, which is unfortunately <laughs> true for a lot of... Uh, for a lot of companies. Mm. Um, well, the, they're the idea generators. I mean, they're the younger yeah. generation, the guys that come in with a whole lot of energy and yeah. a completely different viewpoint. Exactly. I mean, the, the idea sketch monkey, just to kind of explain this to everybody because <laughs> we love it so much. Um, a sketch monkey would pretty much be a company or like, you know, a sketch, you know, a company working with sketch monkeys is they hire 10, 15 junior guys. They all sketch like the hell out of the whole thing. And after a year, they would say we, sub, you know, five survive. Mm. That's the idea of a sketch monkey. 
Yeah, it's not the, the idea of like I'm I'm pushing a junior to become better and better. It's more just like you know I'm bringing all those kind of guys in. I hope one idea is going to be good. If this idea is good, we're going to do it. And if not, well, get rid of the whole, of everybody. Mm. Yeah. So that this does Cut happen. Through. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, it is the case, and we see that not more and more, but you know, due to the fact that we have more design schools that produce more junior designers. Yes. It is more likely to happen than it was probably ten. Well, 15, competition 20 years is ago. intense. Yeah. I mean, there's so many designers graduating from schools now and there's a lot less positions yeah. being available. Well, I mean, that's actually not true because there's, if they choose to expand their horizons, if everybody wants to go into exterior, which is traditionally the way that most designers don't think, do that, <laughs> then they're not going to get a lot of jobs because there's so much competition in terms of wanting to be an exterior designer. Yeah. But if you expand your horizons a little bit and want to get into UI UX okay. Or, um, you know, your killer at alias, um, or, you know, then you stand the better chance of actually making it in this business. Yeah. And uh, let's it makes you more attractive as well when you know. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, this is what we just described. And, 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 you know, what we just described is pretty much on par with everything that happens in a creative background. It doesn't really matter if that's interior, exterior, whatever, color trim. This is kind of applicable for every subdivision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we're still in a position where we're not being able to produce anything whatsoever. We're in an ideation phase, you know, the experience then comes in the execution of the project, but we need different, you know, we need way more people mm. to actually finish the execution. So I would say in terms of a ratio, um, you know, we would probably have 25% maximum of a, of a design department nowadays maybe a third if depending on like you know how you operate mm -hmm. is um is actually designers so right. the people who yes. sketch mm -hmm. you know and this is the i would say the, the a very very big last resort in this kind of second or like you know first line reporting directly to the manager which is what happened more and more which is in operations Mm -hmm. yeah? And operations includes, you know, a lot of what Daniel does every single day includes 3D modeling. It includes physical modeling, you know, yes. with clay and hard models, foam models, those kind of mm -hmm. things. But we have seen a new kind of direction nowadays, which is visualization, you know, in particular VR, augmented reality to a certain kind of degree. But we also have, of course, the studio engineering department and you know, it's, you can, of course, the bigger you get, the more responsibility each subdivision like studio engineering would get. But in our idea, let's say we're going to put an operations person in there who kind of, you know, collects everything and who's a direct line to the VP design in terms of, you know, just organizing literally everything in, in, in terms of, a, in terms of an admin situation. Mm -hmm. IT is part of that, for example, as well. And, and I think what we see with all those kind of sub-departments, and I think 3D is the best kind of example for that, we have a rather just a few amount of really permanently employed people within this area. And then based on the output on of, of the designers and based on the schedule of the projects, you know, we, we will be working with contractors. And, uh, you know, the, right. the contractors are, you know, uh, I don't want to say a special bunch of people, but because they're not permanently employed, they have to be extremely flexible. Yeah, definitely. But um, I would also go as far as really saying that, like, if you look at all the contract work, which is done in the design studio, mm -hmm. um, I would say they're really the backbone of the company, mm -hmm. right? Because especially when you are a startup, you've got a certain amount of permanent people, uh, which are obviously like creating the design and living the brand. Mm -hmm. 
and also creating the design language. But um, in the end of the day, you still need the people um, to create the product, mm -hmm. right? Right. And um, when you look at the industry, I would say most people who do like 3D modeling, whether it's Maya or Elias um, or Ism Surf, um, most of them at a certain stage when they have a certain senior level basically on skills, they go into freelancing because it's just really popular, mm -hmm. right? And obviously it allows you as a contractor to look into different brands and different companies. Yeah, so I yeah. think a lot of people think that's really interesting because like the most people you speak to, especially juniors, um, who have been at a place for maybe two years, three years, and they actually find harder to like find a permanent position mm -hmm. um, at a really interesting brand. Mm -hmm. And it's way easier for them to become part of a project um, as a freelancer. Yeah. Right. So I think also the experience they are getting is um, different maybe than um, as it was maybe 10 years ago in Germany. Because yeah, obviously right. everything like the contracting business um, as itself is more like a UK-based thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would say at the moment there's no difference in Europe. Like contracting is popular. Yeah, because the, the the pressure has arisen, I think, in terms of financial pressure. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah this was, is a, a mm. fundamental point. I mean, if you, the question is that those companies ask themselves, and it's sometimes really difficult, to, like you know, really hard to say something like that. If you hire someone permanently, you pretty much have to to a you know controlling department, a purchasing department, or like an HR department, guarantee that you can fully work with this person for 10, 10 years and uh, ten months a year, mm -hmm. because the rest is like you know holidays and stuff like that. Um, but let's say you only have um, you know the idea of um, you know six months of work, and then you have this person sitting around for four months. Of course, in bigger companies that doesn't really happen, mm. or like you know it, it might happen, but not in the, in, in the case that it really affects them a lot. But this is then where the contractors are coming in. So in a yeah. growing process in particular, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you can control your your cash much, 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 yeah. much better. Yeah. But also in terms of flexibility, because um, as you just mentioned, the pressure, especially with all the different projects coming along, usually um, at the same time frame. Yes. Um, it's more like a thing that the companies are not even planning like six months anymore. Mm -hmm. It's more like short notice and then deciding, like it's more like, I don't really like the work, but like this agile approach, yeah. right? So it's more like... <laughs> oh, just gonna... another way of saying disorganized. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, we're, we're <laughs> basically just thinking like this week, okay, what are we going to do next week? And on Thursday, we are realizing, okay, we need those people. Mm -hmm. And if you think about getting any people on board like via traditional HR process yeah it's going to take weeks exactly. even if you have the right candidate yes. and he wants to sign a contract it's going to take weeks to get him on board mm -hmm. whereas as a contractor on Monday he's there and yeah. I think this is like just the value right. of having those people who are willing and to the contract yeah, yeah. well in, in terms of like me and my Gestalt and car company um, say I've gotten you know a huge series of financing in the first round And then all of a sudden, you know, the economy just goes down the tubes and all of a sudden I'm like, you know, scrounging just to pay the people that I do have on staff. It would actually make more sense then to bring in, you know, 
or all of my projects are now getting canceled because I can't do three cars anymore. Yeah. I can only do one. <laughs> um, so it makes a lot more sense to get in, you know, contract because then I can scale up and down more and easily. That's, and that's exactly the thing is because, you know, those kind of times where uh, you build a car and the product planning has been going back for years and years and years and years, those are over. It's a very reactional business nowadays, especially mm. when you look into China, for example, where this kind of contract market is very, very appreciated because it gives you the flexibility, right. you know, uh, it's, you know, even in, on our day-to-day -day level and, you know, talking a little bit on Lichlik, you know, what we do, mm. you get calls and just like, oh, I need people. And then two days later, oh, I don't need them anymore. It's because sometimes, <laughs> you know, yeah. projects are being canceled. You have, you know, um, let's say billionaires or gazillionaires like yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> saying just like, oh, I don't like this anymore. And, you know, start from scratch and then you have to send everybody home. Right. Um, and this obviously is, it's not the ideal situation because, you know, the, the stability is always, is always key and you see it with products, the more stability you have in that, the better the products become. Yes. Um, but I think in today's culture, because of those quick changes, um, you know, and especially in terms of then the executional part, which is, um, 3D modeling, which is clay modeling in particular, mm. uh, visualization and stuff like that. We see more work with contractors. We see more work with suppliers, but also as well, you know, like right. bigger yep. suppliers, yeah. especially when it comes to like the clay facilities where uh, a lot of, you know, new OEMs or OEMs, even the big ones, yeah, mm. they don't want to spend that money on internal people anymore. They'd rather go to a supplier and like, do it for us because we only need you like, you know, six months out of a year. Right. And it's in the end much cheaper for us, even though my, the project might be a bit more expensive, but mm -hmm. long-term is cheaper for them. And, and I think this is, uh, this is something that is, that is absolutely fundamental to grasp. Yeah. Mm. But it is a mix. I mean, we will never see a manager being a contractor nowadays. It's, I, I think the important well, no, thing, like when you build thing. up the company, yeah. it's like, like what Martin said, it's like the healthy ratio. Mm -hmm. Right, so you can't run a company just with permanent people, like you can do, but um, yeah. it won't won't make sense really. Yeah. Like it's not a, it's economically, not effective enough. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas obviously, like if you have a company with twenty percent of permanent staff and the rest contractors, which you rely on, yeah, because in the end of the mm -hmm. day, um, they are contractors, right? So if you can only promise them a three month because you don't know what's happening in the next quarter, mm. and they accept the contract, they're gone, right? So a lot of Companies actually underestimate that, mm. right? Uh, it's different to a permanent person. Yeah, it's very risky. Yeah, it's just mm. you have to get the ratio right, mm -hmm. right? So, you, like, both extremes are unhealthy, really, mm -hmm. right? Right. Now, one thing that you mentioned earlier was that there's more kind of junior designers entering into this um, freelance lifestyle. And that was interesting because it seems like, you know, contractors, in my opinion, was always people that had a lot of experience, people that, you know, were once at mm -hmm. a company and mm -hmm. had a lot to bring to the table and therefore decided that this kind of independent lifestyle was more beneficial for them um, in their life. Uh, but what's your percentage then in terms of, you know, the people that you work with? Would it be, I mean, what's the split between junior designers and top level modelers, for example, say in, in cast modeling? I mean, this really depends, like, uh, what we try to do, like, from day one is, obviously, we work with, um, especially in cast modeling, like, with really experienced people, because usually when a supplier or an OEM gets people on board for a project, um, 
they've got a tight deadline yeah, and they need the right people on board to yeah. basically crack on. Mm. Um, but we always try like when we have projects which are not as hot, basically, mm -hmm. um, to get new people on board, like people maybe the client hasn't worked mm -hmm. with or maybe even people we haven't worked with. Mm -hmm. So these might be like junior people who've got like two to three years experience um, at a supplier and they decided to become freelancers um, to have a look at other companies, maybe even other countries. Mm, so we have yeah. a lot of people who are mid-20s, late-20s, um, no girlfriend basically, no family, not basically not attached. Mm. And they come to us and um, what's going on in China um, or what's happening in Sweden. Right. Yeah. And they are basically the people who are going up there for like half a year mm -hmm. and just checking new places out and obviously gaining like this international experience, mm -hmm. which with people like in their, even if they're contractors in their mid thirties, late thirties, they've got a family here. Mm. It's less likely they are going abroad for such a long time, which is obviously understandable. Right? Yeah, right. And I think, you know, one, one thing that we need to mention, which is that the, the companies are becoming more and more restrictive in terms of the hiring actually, you know, mm -hmm. because Uh, you obviously have labor councils and all these kind of things. And in particular over here in Germany, you know, you have a, a probation period, which is usually somewhere between three and six months. Mm -hmm. uh, but then afterwards, if things are really not going well, which might happen, you know, it doesn't really happen very, very often, but it might happen. It's then really, really difficult to part ways again, yeah. you know. And we have made the experience that sometimes the people are really not reluctant, but they just want to be sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially with young people and especially with young mm. designers. I think the contracting side on the young designers is more about, I want to be sure. Mm. Yeah. And I want to, want to make sure that this is the right environment for that person and stuff like that. Right. Um, there are certain kind of options like, you know, limited permanent contracts that are pretty much the similar thing, you know, it then doesn't mm -hmm. matter if you're a contractor or, you know, if you, if you're limited you know, from a limited perspective employed, But that's a fundamental point, and that comes back to this kind of flexibility, mm -hmm. you know, um, where you want to say, like, how sure can I be? You know, a lot yeah. of people ask the questions, I want to be sure, how can I be sure? You mm -hmm. know, how can you guarantee that this and that works? And the question is, there is no guarantee. Yeah. There's never a guarantee with a contractor, there's never a guarantee with a permanently employed person. Mm -hmm. yeah? So it really comes down to the right feeling and the right you know, connection to each other and all these, you know, all these kind of, that's more like a soft skill and uh, in the personal kind of perspective. And the contractors play exactly the same role. And as Daniel mentioned, you know, exactly uh, on the kind of exec you know, sec you know, executional level, it is more likely that the younger guys will be hired because mm -hmm. then they, you know, will be trained and all these kind of things. And so that makes it makes a good process. But on really the experience level, most you know, most of them. I mean, just look into clay. I think nowadays clay is still ninety percent contract. Yeah, you know. But the, so I mean, you staff across the entire kind of spectrum of design. I mean, in terms of contractors, you put people that are not permanent staff into color and trim studios, for example, or into these type. I mean, what types of teams do you work with? Of course, I understand. You know the clay modeling aspect. Um, uh, you know, the alias, um, you know, modeling and surfacing. But do you, for designers, I mean, is there a contract? Say, uh, say I'm a different person now. Yeah. I'll do a little role playing. Um, say I'm, uh, you know, 
uh, I don't know, think of some girl's name. And <laughs> I've just, um, you know, I have a couple of years experience at an OEM and I've done some pretty good things in terms of color and trim. But uh, I'm still single and I still want to go out there and find, you know, a different location um, in the world that I'd want to work in. Maybe, you know, California, say, is attractive to me. Um, and there's an automaker over there that has an opening. Um, can I then just kind of get on their color and trim team, work six-month contract? Do you do that? Well, to be fair, I think, um, first of all, there are two different approaches, really, right? So one approach would be us having a position open and people applying for it. Mm -hmm. um, but in your case, for example, if uh, we've been newly in touch, the first thing we would ask you is, like, what do you want to do, mm. right? Like, um, obviously, from the experience you have, like, what's your ambition? Like, not only, like in terms of which country, but also career-wise. Mm. Because this really depends um, which company might suit you, right? Right. Whether it's a smaller company, maybe for um, like a small series production car, mm -hmm. or maybe a big OEM or supplier. Yeah. And obviously depending on which maybe which country. Yes. And in, and in your context, of course, I mean, you know, uh, it always depends like what is the project. I mean, why would you want to go if you come out of a permanent position, go into, for example, a six-month contract, where is the flexibility behind those things? I mean, um, when we go back to the studio environment and say, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, we, how do we want to build this? Yes. You know, the question is always just like, what are the kind of pillars that we need? Mm -hmm. You know, and what are the kind of pillars that if people move on, they can be replaced? You know? Yes. And this is, in the end, a fundamental point as well. The designers... And, you know, I, I, I know a lot of people, you know, they they are very, very happy when I say this, but the designers are still the main pillars of how a design studio works because this is where the ideation coming from. Mm -hmm. This is where the creativity is coming from. And a lot of the modelers, no matter how good they are, mm -hmm. you know, they are enabling the designers, you know, to really bring this into into a production. That's right. That we they see just execute their... those people's ideas. Exactly. And this sounds very, very harsh, but it's actually a very, very good job to do mm -hmm. and it's a very very important job to do and we see that with clay modelers uh, in particular or like mm -hmm. the hard modelers i mean those guys yes. are artists if you've ever seen them work it's absolutely ridiculous you know what they can do from a uh, from a model and like you know how good their eye is mm -hmm. the same thing translating was, a 2d sketch exactly and 3d exactly mm -hmm. the same and you know visualization i mean doing something like in you, know, you see the picture and it looks like you know the whole thing stands and is in front of you yeah, yeah no, it's a piece it's of art definitely it's, it's, yeah. it's a piece of art but in the end it's just like it enables the designer to bring whatever they do to life and, mm -hmm. and this this is also why in a whole process and environment of course this um, this is exchangeable interchangeable mm -hmm. whereas if you have uh, let's say a design team which is quite small and you have the best designer leaving the impact is going to be incredible Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, it might be a very, very big impact if your best model leaves, but there will be ways to replace him in a relatively short amount of time mm. with the designer. That's going to be very difficult, you know? And I think this is where the ratio is then coming down to like how to organize a studio and stuff like that mm. and how to run with it is really about, you know, can you, can you really build a good creative team? Can that, you know, kind of feed each other in terms of ideas? Can it be creative enough? Is it really one? Mm -hmm. I think that's the big question. That's from the top dog to kind of, you know, then put it into place. Um, but the executional kind of way, yeah, the kind mm -hmm. of modeling even. I mean, we've seen studios that were pretty much only designers and then they've kind of, you know, brought in externals, 
and said, it's like, I do it with the externals. And then, you know, whenever it's done, you know, we still have to design us. I mean, there's all different kinds of models. So they outsourced everything in terms of execution. It was just designers. So junior to senior, I mean, probably their structure maybe skipped something. Maybe it was like junior, senior, and then director, or, I mean, I mean, we had like a fully fledged studio. There was, there was one project some time ago. That was pretty much where the um, where 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 the client in the end said, "We give you three of our guys, and you just do the rest." <laughs> in terms of finding the people, right? Yeah. So obviously we're not executing the projects and stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Um, it's really about then you know so there's three designers; those are the leads, and the rest is then going to be done with externals. I mean, this is the right. bring it into the hardcore level that you can get to. Yes. Um, and that is really not the norm. The norm is no. really that you know companies such as BMW. They would probably say, so we have a project and this project will outgo, will go out to supplier. The supplier will do the clay modeling for them and most of the 3D modeling. Yeah. yeah. Build but a show car. Build the show car, of course, all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it is run by BMW's design department. Yeah. Right. If that is the designer, if there's a project manager, project leader, doesn't really matter what that, you know, position is really called mm-hmm. in that regard. But it is still run by BMW and yeah. it will always be controlled by BMW and they just outsource certain parts of the project. Yes. And I think um, this is also for us. I mean, you know, people have told us like, you know, three, four years ago, and it's like, oh, you know, contract will be dead. this very, very point soon. No, you know, it, you will exactly need the mix of everything because mm-hmm. if we would really go into saying everything is permanent, it, it won't work because, no. you know, it's going to be at the long term too expensive. Yeah, and well, you never know what you need from one project to the next. Exactly, you know, and it makes a lot of sense in terms of also keeping the people moving, mm-hmm. you know, for a whole industry. Right. Also trying out new things, for example. Yes. Like yeah. you're way more flexible, like when you say you want to try... Um, VR. VR is a good example. VR, VR for example, mm. um, for the next project. Mm. And you can get it from an external supplier. Um, that's great, but you would... For the first project, you probably wouldn't find the right people in time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting them on board, permanent position uh, yeah. for a tryout or training them. Yeah. yeah. Or training unlikely. Them. Yeah. Training right. them would be another another option that takes a lot of time. Yes. You can hire, of course, people. So, mm. um, it it really comes down. I mean, if you want to do your own car, you know, or you know, you want to develop something, it really gets into that kind of the, that um, that situation of really finding the right mix. And I think that's what. A lot of companies have done already. Mm-hmm. They found the right mix, um, but obviously, it always depends from company to company. Some people are more contract heavy. Some people are more permanent ha- heavy. You know, mm-hmm. but as we can see, there's enough cars coming into the market. Right. Yeah, it's very, very interesting in terms of dynamic within the studio because it's not. I mean, I don't know the inner workings of other industries um, quite as well as uh, the design industry, but. I don't think there's a lot of people that work on, you know, contract as much as they do in a, in an automotive design studio. It seems like it's quite, you know, resource intensive in terms of getting contractors, getting permit or sorry, temporary employees in on a contract basis. Maybe not as many skill sets, I would say. Mm. I think the design studio just includes so many different skill sets you need for the design process. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And Apart from design, most things you can get on a contract basis if you yeah. would want to, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And this obviously allows you quite a lot of flexibility depending on what your aim is. Yeah. yeah. And and I think it also, I mean, in your case, so if you would say, okay, so I can spend a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know, 
the things that you would like to control internally are really the the marketing because that's how you get you know the perception of the car is then going to be for the broad public mm. and the other thing is of course the design because you want to know you know yeah. you want to control what, right. how it looks like everybody's got an opinion <laughs> exactly but in the end it's just like you know the, the, the whole car industry because of the complexity you have so many suppliers now especially on engineering you could really if you have enough money to say i have two departments you know plus a few people who control the other people the, the, the suppliers mm. and build a car company i mean this is you know to a certain degree what e-velocity is doing at the moment okay right where they have you know richard kins running the design department mm -hmm. you have a few guys running on a really top level and kind of try to coordinate everything but the question is how long we can go with this kind of traditional you know let's say gm bmw volkswagen kind of style yeah uh, because they are slowly moving towards um the supplier levels as well so right right um it's so, it's got, not gonna change and yeah. it's the, the car industry kind of there's a lot last word is just it's too complex mm. you know you cannot just say i'm i'm gonna <laughs> skip one step because it's just too complex you know like i mean you've seen it before yes you know we went to studios together and everything and you know, if you see a clay model and you see like different things, you know, three kind of next to each other, and it's like, yeah, but that body side is exactly the same. Like, no, 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 it's not. There's tiny little, you know, changes there. Yeah. So um, and this is the thing. This is the complexity also mm. in terms of design, of course. So that's, I mean, I thought that was a really good conversation that we had from industry experts here, people that are building these design studios from scratch um, and filling it with you help with this as well yeah <laughs> working in it now as well but um i thought it was it was great to get daniel's input so thank you for joining us special guest Mr. <laughs> daniel, <laughs> daniel Schoenfeld, thank you um but now um i think you know on that note i think we should kind of talk about the positions that we're actually looking to fill at yeah. the moment which is a uh, concept house i mean uh, from my perspective i'm looking for more senior level design um candidates that are working on interiors and also exterior design, and in Germany, um, but also further afield. Yep. Um, I think you're also... I second that, interior, interior, interior. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the thing for us, the big... I mean, we have to change at the moment UI, UX as well. If, that's you, have, right. if you have experience in yes. car, uh, you know, in the car design industry with UI, UX, please, you know, talk to us. We have we have quite a few things that Massive we can talk about. Massive opportunities in that field um, right now. And, you know, Daniel, from a from a contract point of view, I think, you know, it's quite 3D heavy for you at the moment, or what's what's this, what's the deal? Um, yeah, actually, if you're a clay modeler who's available, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite yes. funny because last year it was exactly the other way around, as you probably all know. Um, no, but seriously, like, uh, what I want to mention as well, um, basically, we are planning to do an academy um, mm -hmm. end of the year. Okay. So there's basically a Grasshopper Academy because we recently spoke to quite a few people who um, got some experience with Grasshopper but never really got around to using the project yeah. because um, it only really starts being picked up by different design studios now in the last year, really. Um, so what we are planning is um, an academy for one week uh, with basically someone who's quite good at Grasshopper. We already got that person, luckily. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so on the homepage, we're going to put like um, a bit of a leaflet out. Um, so if, if someone's interested, um, they can join the academy. Yeah. I and think we're going to start off with like 10 places at the beginning. And just we'll, as we'll a try trial. to drop a link in. So exactly. Oh, yeah. Can, uh, and yeah. just, to, just to just tell the people where is that going to be and what city? And, uh, this is going to be in Munich, Germany. And uh, time is going to be announced, but it should be end of the year when hopefully things are a bit slowing down. Uh, because I think at the moment everyone's on holiday and as soon as they're back uh, 
it's going to be quite busy again. <laughs> Says the contract guy. <laughs> yeah, hit the ground running after yeah. summer. Good, good. Well, thank you for that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I guess now we're just going to wrap it up. Um, everybody in the car design industry, uh, seem in Europe anyway. I mean, you know, whole design studios are just shut for the <laughs> month for the of August. <laughs> so um, we're going to take a little holiday ourselves, um, and we're going to come back and shoot episode seven. Yes. When I come back, then in. Um, Beginning of September. Beginning of September. So, so we're, to... we're going to skip the next kind of, you know, you're not going to see us in two weeks. It's going to be a month, you know, so four weeks. So sorry to let you down, but you're going to have to wait. But all good things come to those who wait. <laughs> and um, then we, of course, you know, by all means, look us up. We're on YouTube now. We're also on iTunes. We've got the Spotify. We've got Spotify. We're... We're all over the map, so um, do like us, do yeah, subscribe, to like us, us, share the links. You know, five star ratings on iTunes are please, always great, always nice, always nice. And um, please comment as well because yes. we want to know what you guys think. I mean, you know, now we got Daniel in the mix. Over there. <laughs> do you like Daniel? Do you want to see him again? Maybe not. You know, <laughs> but uh, this is always fun. Um, so yeah, by all means, you know, look us up and. Next time for September, we'll probably do a little Paris Paris preview. Paris so. preview, Pebble Beach review. Review, quite. And yes. if if we can get it all sorted, we have some plans. I mean, we promised actually last time we wanted to get guests on board. Oh yeah, for this right. one. Unfortunately, there he's was on some, holiday. No, he's unfortunately on holiday. He has some personal problems. Right. Um, right so, right. Um, uh, but you know, we we are very very good in the process of hopefully bringing someone in for next. For the next recording, so there will very likely be three of us again, maybe right. even four if Daniel wants to join again. Good stuff. And uh, yeah, in in that kind of sense, you know, like us, subscribe, and everything else, and we will see you in beginning of September, four weeks. Yeah. Cool. See you soon. Take ciao, care. Ciao. Bye bye.